0: said something in the prayer time earlier this morning about my wisdom, and I think he just assumes that wisdom comes with old age, (laughs) but uh, I hope I don't do anything to dispel that myth this morning because I'd like for you to keep believing that, all right? When Kevin uh, and I talked earlier about what the message was to be about or the general theme about uh, what uh, this month has been about for you. He said he wanted a message on the family that lasts, building a family that lasts. And the first thing that came to my mind as we were talking, he doesn't know this, but the first thing that came to my mind was a parable, a parable of a good Samaritan. For years, I have been thinking in the back of my mind that I'd like to preach a sermon about the family from that parable. Now, it just doesn't automatically lend itself to thinking about the family, does it? And we'll see, we'll look at that uh, parable in just a moment. But a Friday morning group that I lead or help to lead, which includes Matthew's dad and some other people, uh, we've been looking for the past uh, few weeks, and we're going to continue probably for as much as a year, about uh, and looking at the parables of Jesus. And that's, that's a huge and a vast undertaking of teaching. And I have come to believe that if we can understand the parables of Jesus, the stories He told to present the great truths of the kingdom of God, then we can understand most of what the Bible is all about and most of what the kingdom is all about. So anyway, I've been thinking for years, I'd like to preach this sermon on the family from the parable of the Good Samaritan. Kevin calls and says, uh, we want a a message on the family that lasts, building a family that lasts. And so my Friday morning small group of men is studying the parables. So that perfect storm, if you will, is what brings us here today to the message that I want to share with you to to what I believe is is something very important and powerful for us as, uh, as families because the family is so central to who we are as, as the people of God. I want to begin by just reading Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25. It goes for about 12 verses. If you want to follow along, you can in whatever way, whatever device you have, or, or just whatever, but, or just listen. Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. They were always testing Jesus, and sometimes I wonder if those tests were really meant and designed so that they could learn more, that they secretly wanted to know more about what this powerful, charismatic teacher was saying, but yet they presented themselves as trying to test him, as people who were knowledgeable about the law. But here's the way it goes. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A huge, huge religious question, right? What is written in the law, he replied. Jesus was a master at answering a question with a question. How do you read it? He answered, and this is the Sunday school answer. This is the right answer, if you will. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. End of discussion, right? Not for this teacher of the law, this expert in the law, because he wanted to probe a little deeper deeper perhaps for his own reason and his own benefit but also he was further testing jesus to try to trip him up so wanting to justify himself he asked jesus and who is my neighbor who is my neighbor powerful question isn't it if we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves then who is our neighbor So in reply, Jesus said, and this is where he tells the story, the parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. It's not the way the expert in the law thought this story was going. It's not the direction he thought Jesus would have taken. He would have guessed that the priest of all people, the religious leader of his day, would have stopped to help. But he didn't. And so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, another religious leader fails to stop. But a Samaritan, and you have to know that Samaritans were among the most hated people of their day. And the Jews especially, this bitter hatred went back for hundreds of years. It was a religious hatred, and it had that kind of fervor and emotion attached to it. So to even mention a Samaritan in the story would have been offensive to this expert in the law. But to put him in the light of being the hero in the story, you cannot imagine what that did to this Jewish law person. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was— and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, which was the equivalent of uh, denarii was uh, the equivalent equivalent of one day's wages. He took out two of them and gave to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. It's the only thing he could reply, right? And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Likewise. Family is about relationships, isn't it? And in this story, this powerful story, one of the most familiar of all of the teachings of Jesus, we have something about relationships. What does it mean to be a neighbor and who is our neighbor? What does it mean to show mercy to those who are in need? And in doing so, and in all of this, we have something very powerful going on because a relationship is being built. And there are others who avoided this relationship and who walked by on the other side. Family is about relationships. It is about that beloved community, as a theologian once said and once described it. And there's nothing more beloved than the family. And the the church is like an extended family. And it becomes that extended family of believers, the family of God, if you will. And so there's so much to learn here. And so I want us to, to glean from this passage, from this great story that Jesus tells, seven things we can do every day to build a family that lasts. Seven things that we can do every day that builds a family that lasts. First of all, every day, be alert for those who are wounded. Now, who are the wounded people that you will encounter Tomorrow or the next day. Or perhaps before you leave today, before you go home today, maybe you'll stop to eat lunch. And and somebody, I promise you, will be wounded and hurting. Who are these people? I can count on one hand the number of times I have been traveling by vehicle or just traveling along the road and ran across somebody who was injured. In almost every instance, they were victims of an automobile accident I was one of the first to arrive on the scene I stopped to help in whatever way I could I remember this one young boy on uh, on Mission Church Road and he had fallen off his bicycle or he had wrecked his bicycle and I got there and a neighbor had come running out a lady who lived in a house had come running out and his his face was covered with blood and I thought okay just calm down it's probably not as bad as it looks I mean it looked pretty bad right but that was, a, that was a wounded young boy, and I just stopped, and we went and washed his wound and, and cleaned it, and it, it, sure enough, it wasn't as bad as it looked. But that was an incident where I stopped to help somebody in need, and maybe you've had those experiences. I'm sure you've had such experiences. But if we have to wait until somebody is beaten or wounded or a victim of an accident, then this parable has no meaning. I think it has a vast meaning for everyday life, for everyday experience. And here's where I think it has great application, and that is in the family. When you sit across the table from that child or that spouse or that other member of your family, I promise you they are wounded. Someone has been wounded that day. Maybe a child at school has been bullied or something has happened and and something has happened to take away their dream or their hope for that day or their self-esteem has been wounded or their ego has been trampled on. My friends, in our families, we have wounded people and we need to be alert for those who are wounded. This is the way we build a family that lasts. We treat everyone with dignity and respect. We treat everyone as if they are the most important person in the room. And why don't we do that? Sometimes we will care more, it seems, for someone halfway around the world. We will write a check and and send an offering. And we just pass by those in our own family who are wounded and hurting. We just assume that they're okay. And even when they're not, we are so preoccupied with self that we pass by on the other side. Now, why did the priests and Levite, why did they just walk by? Why did they not stop and help? You would think that, that these religious leaders would have known what to do and would have known that the thing to do was to stop and help. We can only guess at this point. We can only assume that they were so concerned with their religious duties that they were too much in too much of a hurry. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But one of the things we can do to build a family that lasts is to be alert to those who are wounded. And then secondly, every day, practice authentic religion. What is authentic religion? Religion is not necessarily a bad word. It is from a Latin word religio, which means to reconnect So religion is that which reconnects us with God. Now, it takes bad turns and it takes bad forms. And sometimes we use it as a a bad word. But religion is not necessarily a bad word. Practice authentic religion. The Bible has one verse which describes what authentic religion is. It's it's in James 1.27. You may know what it is. It says, authentic religion is this. Can't be more clear, can it? Authentic religion is this, that it cares for orphans and widows in their distress. Orphans and widows represent the most vulnerable people in our world. The ones who are wounded, the ones who are in need, the ones who can't look after themselves. And so every day practice authentic religion. The priests and the Levite were practitioners of religion. But they were not practicing authentic religion, were they? Or they would have stopped to help. Some have speculated that that maybe they did not stop to help because to do so would have defiled them. If the man had been dead and they touched a dead body, they they would not have been fit for religious duty and religious service in the temple. And if they were headed to Jerusalem, that's a likely explanation for why they didn't stop. Live Again Ministries, one of the things that we do, and our, our theme is to alleviate spiritual and material poverty anywhere in the world. But one of the things we do is that we go to Honduras and install uh, water, clean water systems and help people to have clean access to clean water to drink and uh, to cook and to avoid a lot of sickness. And in doing that, we also have opportunities to do other things. And we had a unique experience last month. We were asked, and we uh, well sort of volunteered, and we partnered with another organization there. And we staged a dinner for 400 senior adults, most of them very poor, on, uh, on one end of the island. Matthew and Leanne Whitley were part of that uh, team that went. And so we did it on Wednesday. It was a great event. We had, we had done so much work and so much preparation for that one big event. We had a luncheon for them. And we gave out gifts, and we sang songs, and we uh, just had a great time just hanging out with these impoverished senior adults. But along the way, we discovered some special needs among the group. And the next day was Thursday. We we didn't have a lot planned that day. We were going to just do a couple of things, but the group decided that they wanted to do something else. Matthew, for example, I'll tell you this story about Matthew. He, he had met this, this man, 59 years old, in a wheelchair, crippled from an accident. Terrible, terrible-looking legs where they had botched a surgery trying to repair the broken bone. And so he was in a wheelchair, and it was a wheelchair that was honestly about to fall apart. And so we went to his home. And while in his home, we talked about getting him a new wheelchair. We put the process in motion to get that done. We're still working on getting that done. We took him some food, and we took him some things for his home. He and his wife lived in a very modest home, very humble people. And our hearts just went out to him. He didn't speak a word of English, and I don't know enough Spanish to be able to communicate. But we had this unique little setup. There was a lady back at a clinic that we knew, and so so I got on the phone with her and put it on speaker, and that's how we did the translation. <laughs> very unique. But Leanne was with another group, and they were going to a, a very poor community, handing out uh, beans and rice and beanie babies and little dresses to children, to little girls. And uh, i tell you that story to say that that group could have done... Anything else that day. They could have gone to the beach. One of the most beautiful beaches in the world was just a few miles away. But they chose to practice authentic religion. And that's something we can do in our families. Not just to, to come and sit in a, in a chair in a seat on Sunday morning. I mean, that's important. There are a lot of, a lot of benefits to what you're doing just now. But this is not all there is. Ministering to people in need, especially those in our families. To those who we call our neighbor. And who is closer as a neighbor than members of our own family? I mean, it doesn't get any closer than that, does it? To build a family that lasts, we practice authentic religion. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, sometimes it's inconvenient. But that's where we reprioritize our whole life and everything that we do as a family to take care of each other and those around us. And then number three, every day practice self-giving. The priests and the Levite, were they giving of themselves? Absolutely not. They may have justified it some way in their own mind and heart that indeed what they were doing was practicing the right thing and doing the right thing. But the Samaritan, the good Samaritan as he has come to be called, What did he do? He stopped to help. He gave up of himself. He gave up of his own time. And in our day, that is our most precious commodity, isn't it? How many times do mothers and fathers fail to give the time that is needed with the children or to the man to the wife or the wife to the man? Practice self-giving. But not only did he give his time, but he gave his resources. He gave oil and wine, two very valuable resources in that day, but they were also used for medical purposes, and he gave them to the man to bind up his wounds and to heal his wounds, and then he provided two days' wages in case he had other needs after he left. So every day, practice self-giving. That isn't the normal, natural thing for us to do. Our first reaction is to always think about whom? About ourselves, right? But practice self-giving. It's a way to build a family that lasts. And number four, every day, make provision for future healing. Every day, make provision for future healing. That's what the Samaritan did. Not only did he help the man for that immediate moment, but he took care of of whatever needs he would have in the future. And he even said to the innkeeper, when I come back, if you've spent more, I will make up for what you've spent. And every day we can do this in our families. Every family needs to be, every home needs to be a safe place where everyone can come and know that they can find healing for their wounds. And that their wounds can be taken care of in that way. And so that safe place is a place where we can build up spiritual capital for future needs. Because just providing for the need of the day is not going to be enough. We have to think about the future as well. And to build that foundation, that spiritual foundation... One of my favorite writers of all time is a man named Brennan Manning. He died last year, and one of the books he has written or he wrote is titled Abba's Child. And the introduction of this book begins like this. February 6, February 8, 1956. In a little chapel in Loretto, Pennsylvania, I was ambushed by Jesus of Nazareth. And that's the way he describes his salvation experience, the way he began his long life's walk with Jesus of Nazareth. And he built his life on one mantra. God loves us just the way we are and not as we should be because none of us is as we should be. And what a great spiritual foundation to build for our family that every person is valued just the way they are. Of course, we discipline children. We want them to go in the right direction, and we do things to make sure that they don't get hurt and that they behave well and they become good citizens. But we value them just the way they are, not as they should be, because none of us is as we should be. The healing of wounds of wounds is important. But also, we need to provide uh, the spiritual capital, which we can provide through, through Bible reading and study in our homes, through prayer, through going to church, through giving, through uh, serving—all of the ways that the, all of the things that we call spiritual disciplines or spiritual practice help to build that spiritual capital, so that one day, every member of the family can be in a place where they can be ambushed, if you will by Jesus, where He can come into their heart and their life and the openness in their hearts and lives for Him to come in and to give that life that only He can give. So that's number four, make provision for future healing. Number five, every day practice justice. That's really what the Samaritan was doing. He was making things right. He was doing the just and the right thing by healing this man and by stopping to help this man. The blind and the lame, Jesus helped. And He was doing justice when He did. Justice means to make things right. And in families, what a great legacy to live, leave to our families. To make things right. To be known as a father or mother or husband or wife who tried always to make things right. Where there was injustice to make it right. Where someone had been wounded and hurt on the playground or at the construction site, or in the boardroom, or at the market, to make things right. A lady that I talked to some time ago told me this story of when she was about seven years old. And there was a large extended family. They had gathered one Sunday afternoon, 25, 30 people in the home. And she had been outside playing. And she was a very shy, reserved little girl and so she came in and just walked through the room and, and went and sat down and, you know, off to the side of the room. And one of her aunts began to chide her and say, well, just look at her. She walks through the room and doesn't even speak to us. And there was, it was very biting and very, not just sarcastic, but it was hurtful. And this little girl began to cry. And she was so embarrassed about crying, she picked up a newspaper, which she probably couldn't even read, And held it in front of her face so that no one would see her crying. But what she remembers about that story is the most painful part. That her own mother and dad who were there did not come to her rescue. Now that happened over 60 years ago. And she still remembers it as if it were yesterday. Justice is making things right. And when we sit across the table from our family members... Someone has been wounded. Someone has been hurt. And every day we can practice making things right for them, binding up their wounds. And then every day, throw a banquet. Now, the Samaritan didn't throw a banquet, but that led me to think about another parable that Jesus told, the parable of the wedding feast. And here's the way the story goes. A man sitting at a table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Everybody likes to think of a banquet, right? Everybody loves a banquet, and uh, especially when we're hungry. But if we're not hungry, it's just an opportunity for self-indulgence, right? But, uh, so that's the difference between one who is hungry and one who is well-fed when it comes to a banquet. But Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guest... Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. And one said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just fought, bought five pair of oxen and want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. That's another sermon for another day. but, <laughs> And then... Um, The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. And so his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. The family is honored in our culture. It should be. But Jesus said it it takes second place to His kingdom and to following Him. But here's the deal. If we follow Jesus, then family is raised in importance in our lives. Because we begin to take care of one another. We begin to to reach out to those in our families who are hurting. And we bring healing to the family members. So every day, throw a banquet. Just break out a feast of love and acceptance. Accepting people just the way they are. And not as they should be. Because none of us is as we should be. And then finally, every day, build something that lasts. Be focused on something important in your family. Don't just, you know, go along with what um, nonprofits call mission drift, but be focused. Jim Collins, in his book Built to Last, said that every organization, and I think families are a kind of an organization, at least an organism, and so everyone he said, should have what he called a big, hairy, audacious goal. A BHAG. Big, hairy, audacious goal. Do you have one for your family? What is the one driving force that keeps your family moving forward? That helps you to build that spiritual foundation? Less of me and more of you is a good mantra, a good logo, or a good slogan for the family. I have learned through 40 years of ministry... Something very important, I think, that life is always better when we're serving other people. Do you have a BHAG focus for your family? Do you have that big goal that that you're all headed toward? And I wonder, could you spend some time today or at least over the next few days thinking about that and talking about that as a family? Where are you going? What are your goals? What do you want? from this family experience and what if you took these seven things that we've mentioned this morning or some variation thereof and made them the overriding purpose of your family made them the action plans of your family and what if every day you did something to bring healing and help to someone who is in need starting with your own family now these are high standards very high standards Jesus sets the bar always very high, doesn't he? But what if today you forgave yourself for past mistakes? What if today you you look past those regrets and you forgot about them and you focused on building something starting now, building something that lasts by being a good neighbor, just a good neighbor in your family? By helping those who are in need. And we're all always in need. Would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to take a look at just a portion of your word. A very familiar story, a parable. But yet with eternal truths. Lord, we are seeking something that is... Bigger than ourselves and bigger than this momentary life. We're seeking something eternal. So help us to apply these eternal truths to our lives and to our family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: Man. I tell you what, Ron, when Ronnie's 90, we're still going to bring him in here, prop him up, and let him talk for 45 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I love him. and. You know, you're looking at it and listening to a man who's done what he just talked about. He's built a family. His kids all in their own way have, uh, and are living lives that are leaving a legacy. Ronnie told a story that was one of Jesus' parables about that banquet. I want you to think about that with me. How many of y'all have ever felt like you've been left out of a party? Right? It felt like there's something going on and I wasn't invited. There was a time when it came to the invitation of God to know him, to live a life that followed him. That some people felt like they were outside looking in. But I want you to know today that that's not the truth anymore. As Jesus told that story, he was really talking about the kingdom of God and saying that it doesn't matter who you are. No matter where you feel like you're at in life, that that invitation is there. For you to respond and to become a part of a bigger family, that's why we don't really use the term members a lot. We talk about our church family around here a lot, because that's what we believe the kingdom of God is a lot like. It's a lot like a family. And Some of you today, maybe you feel a little bit outside of that family. And I want you to realize that as Ronnie was talking about that, he was talking about the heart of God to reach out to you and to invite you to be a part of this great family. Let's pray. God, today there's all kinds of feelings and emotions that attach themselves to a message like that. Some of us, God, we we look at the way that we've been in our families and we feel convicted today that we could be more life-giving at home. God, some of us realize that there's a an opportunity to build a legacy in our family that stands the test of time. And some of us today just want to respond to that, God. But then there are some of us that feel like we're a little bit outside of that big family that's yours. And today you've invited us in that You've sent out your servants to invite those that are just like me, God, the the wretched lepers, those who have walked away and ran. But, God, you you sent your servant, Ronnie, today to invite us into your family. So we're here today. God, speak to us. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let me just ask you this question. Who here says, says me? I feel like I'm outside the family of God, but I want to be in. And if God's inviting me into that family, I want to accept that invitation. Maybe that's you today. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to do anything else. I want you to raise your hand right now. That's me. I want to be a part of God's family. If you're here, raise your hand if that's you. Awesome. Awesome. Who else is here that would say that? God, what a powerful moment for those that are here that would say that they want to be a part of your family. So God, take them and hold them, use them and mold them for your glory. So let me ask one more question before we get done. How many of y'all realize today after listening to Ronnie that there's an opportunity in our family that maybe we've walked away from and you want to repent and say, God, help me to be better with this. God, I want to build a family that lasts. If that's you, raise your hand. God, I just want to repent. I want to say, I'm sorry. I haven't lived this the way that you want me to, but I want to turn to your ways and accept them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information
1: on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.